morning, River Church. I'm Mike Eller, one of the worship leaders at River, and I'm glad to be able to speak with you today. Many thanks to Charles and the wonderful staff for sharing this platform so that I can share with you some about me and my family and offer some words of reflection for today. This morning will be a brief departure from the current study that Charles and other preachers have been taking us through but I do hope that it leaves you with some things to consider and wisdom to chew on as you get into your new week. When Charles asked me first to share about myself, I immediately feared that this could be the dullest sermon that you've heard in some time. So let me assure you that while I intend to uh, introduce who I am, I'd also like to focus some time on an odd little passage in Mark chapter 6 and consider what it might speak to our situation today. So I am married to my wife Katie and we have two amazing kids, Kara uh, who we call Lavender most days and Sam who we affectionately call Elsa. They are seven-year-old twins and I look forward uh, to the chance for you to meet all three of them at some point in the near future. We live on the Upper East Side and we moved to the city about two years ago now from Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was serving a church as their minister of music. My wife is a school teacher and a couple of years ago she expressed her desire to go back into the classroom and continue her training in literature and education. And this led her to consider a PhD program at Teachers College Columbia on the Upper West Side and thus the, move, uh, the reason for our move back in 2019. Shortly after moving to the city, the pandemic hit, which gave me a unique opportunity to, remo to work remotely with the church in North Carolina, leading their worship ministry weekly and creating worship content, video content, much like I've been doing with the River Church. As that church has gone back to in-person worship already, my time with them is sadly drawing to a close. It's, it's been a great few months. Music has been in my blood since my earliest years. When I was 14, my uncle gifted me my first guitar. And what seemed like a common present at the time birthed in me this lifelong desire to engage others in music for the purpose of glorifying God and exploring faith with others. And since then, I have sought opportunities to use music to lead others in worship. This passion eventually took me to a Christian college in Texas in the early 2000s. And I eventually went on to earn my master's degree in church music, as well as a master of divinity degree at seminary. In all, I've served in the area of worship and the arts for nearly 20 years, a vocation that has allowed me to live at the intersection of music, art, and faith. I've already enjoyed doing this as part of your community at the river, and I know you are greatly anticipating the time when you can move into the new worship space at 75 Murray. Uh, there's nothing like being in person, worshiping together in that way and learning from one another. This morning, I'd like to spend a little time in Mark chapter six, verses 14 to 29, where we get the rather odd account of John the Baptist's beheading and death. And while I would normally choose to preach on such a morbid text, I want to say that I believe there's an important word here for us to consider. 
Let's see, this passage is part of the lectionary readings for today, meaning that churches around the world are also wrestling with this same passage, which comes as part of the Revised Common Lectionary set of texts for this particular Sunday. See, Jesus had just sent out his disciples into the villages to teach, and in beginning in verse 14, speaking about this new mission, it says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent out men who arrested John, bound him, put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the, and the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied. She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet, out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. We can all admit that this is a disturbing passage on so many levels, not the least of which is the idea of being gifted someone's head on a platter for dancing really well at a birthday party. All of these gruesome details aside, this account seems out of place in this gospel story of Jesus' mission. And if you know anything about the book of Mark, which is the shortest of the gospels, it is its reputation to be a fast-paced narrative. Jesus seems to always be on the go, go, darting here and there with his disciples, going about his mission quickly into this town and swiftly onto that hillside. The writer highlights text with words like immediately and suddenly, and there isn't much time given to details. This passage in chapter 6 then seems very odd because of its amount of detail, but also because of where it is placed in the story of this new unfolding mission. Wedged in between all of this recounting of John's death, we, which could only be seen now as an interruption. Such interruptions were a common literary device used by early writers to add further commentary on the story being told. 
It is not something we should casually gloss over, but likely something we should actually pay extra attention to. And so what is the writer of Mark trying to tell us? I believe, along with other New Testament scholars, that the writer is asking us to pause and consider the cost of true discipleship. As the disciples are being sent out two by two into all the known world, this passage would ask of its readers to make sure they are doing the mission for all the right reasons. It's as if the writer is saying, keep in mind what happened to John the Baptist. Go about this mission the right way and for the right reasons, for nothing glamorous is promised in carrying it out. It isn't for fame to be awarded or success to be earned. It isn't for notoriety or recognition or even the promise of a life without harm or even a respectable death. The writer's inclusion of this interruption is an opportunity to pause and reevaluate one's motives before moving forward with this new thing that is happening. Interruptions can be frustrating. I'm speaking as one who is very task-oriented. When I've set my mind on something, I can be very focused until I complete that project or assignment that may be similar to how you are. Just ask my wife and kids, when I've got a toolbox open and I'm intently trying to fix something or put something together, it isn't an ideal time to make other requests or have daddy have playtime with the kids. Well, one day, not so long ago, I worked, was working on something in the house and Elsa kept pulling on me to show me something. It was obviously, I was obviously too wrapped up in what I was doing to notice what she was wanting from me and I kept putting her off. She eventually walked sadly back into her bedroom and climbed onto her bunk bed. My wife noticed what was going on and she's not so gently let me know that all she was wanting to show me was a picture that she drew for me. Needless to say, I felt horrible and I looked for ways to make it up to Elsa and only could strive to stay more attentive to the interruptions that may come my way. Most of us don't welcome interruptions as positive experiences and rarely do we see these moments as being necessary. No, we simply want them to go away so that we can get on with what we are doing. This past March, I celebrated turning 40 years old. Now, celebrated is a little misleading. It came more like a freight train, and I gotta say I wasn't quite ready for it. I was turning 40 whether I wanted to or not, and I met that day with some trepidation and a lot of reflection. Maybe it also has something to do with the pandemic, but I felt like I was suspended in this season of self-reflection for some time. Questions have been pouring through my mind about what has led me to this place and what will the second half of life look like for me. Author and life coach Nancy Levin says, honor the space between no longer and not yet. And I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to consider seasons of interruption as a gift to be used in preparing me for what comes next. Well, there is a technique in, in music uh, that a music composer will sometimes use called a grand pause. This is something that is written as a symbol above a rest symbol, which silences all music for a moment, lasting as long as the, conduct the conductor wishes. Now, many casual listeners might hear these pauses as improvised and disregard them 
as unnecessary. But where they're used, these pauses can be just as important as the music we hear before that moment and following. Composers use it when a major change is about to happen or to emphasize the music that follows. Time itself is suspended and there is something in the silence that prepares us for what's ahead and brings some closure to what came before. Perhaps one of the most famous examples of this grand pause is heard right before the final Hallelujah in Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. And having sung in a few concert halls over the years, the moments when these grand pauses occur have been quite chilling and memorable for me. We have been gifted what I consider the great pause. Has there ever been a time in history when the world, the church worldwide, has had such a massive shift in the way that it does worship and ministry than what we have seen over the last 18 months? And add to this, and to think of what the lasting effects may be, as we look to resume normal church activities and programs and times of worship, we can look at this great pause as a gift that we never knew we needed. In many ways, we are suspended between two eras in the life of the church, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And it is yet to be seen just how different this new era in church life might look. And I believe it is what we do with this interruption that will prepare us for what the church will face moving forward. This is a fitting time to ask questions of ourselves and of our ministries. Are we doing it for all the right reasons? What has become unnecessary in our ministries that will hinder us moving forward rather than enable us? Are we keeping our collective ear toward the heart of God and keeping our hands and feet ready for the movement of God's Spirit? Are we being stewards of our resources and using our resources to serve our community? Have we been limiting the range of God's love toward others so that we can feel better about being part of a smaller in-crowd. God's people Israel knew all about interruptions. Theirs lasted for nearly 70 years between when they were driven out of their land, sent into exile, and eventually reclaimed their land and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. That is some kind of pause, 70 years. And as much uh, much of the Old Testament was actually understood to have been written during this exilic period, including much of the Psalms that inspires our worship today. It is in this period of exile, much like the time of the early church trials and persecutions, when the identity of God's people grew immeasurably stronger. This is to say, I'm not sure where the Christian church would be today if it wasn't for interruptions such as these. Interruptions, though many times annoying, can come to us as a gift, and, and they're ours to make the most of. Well, if you've spent any time with a vocal coach or a choir director, they'll tell you about a key difference in the process of breathing for speech and how you breathe for singing. In speech, we all know about inhalation and exhalation, where we speak words as we exhale. But in singing, there's an added step called suspension. In between taking a breath and exhaling, where you then produce sounds, the breath is suspended. It is an essential part of singing, which opens the vocal tract 
and prepares the singer uh, physiologically to sing. Well, the church is about to sing again, both literally and figuratively, and in order to make the most beautiful sound, it must embrace this season when all things feel somewhat suspended, when all is not what it was, but what is to come is yet to be seen. And if we don't quite know what to do with an interruption like this, let the words of Colossians 3.17 be a good starting point. Surely, no matter what you are doing, speaking, writing, or working, do it all in the name of Jesus, sending thanks through him to God. Well, I want to offer my thanks to you for letting me share a little bit about myself and how I'm learning to deal with the great pauses in life and embrace interruptions as agents for preparation and for change. And I'd like to discuss all of this with you further in the sermon discussion chat room in just a few moments. So um, I, if you want to join me there, I'll be there. Um, I'd love to hear how all of this is landing on you uh, this morning. Again, thanks, and may God bless you. Mm -hmm.